Milk minute, milk minute, milk minute, yeah. This is Maureen Farrell and Heather O'Neill, and this is the Milk Minute. We're midwives and lactation professionals, bringing you the most up-to-date evidence for all things lactation, so you can feel more confident about feeding your baby, body positivity, relationships, and mental health. Plus, we laugh a little or a lot along the way. So join us for another episode. Welcome. Welcome to to the Milk Minute Podcast, everybody. <laughs> We're so happy you came back. I'm so happy to be back because it's been a while since we talked, Heather. I know. It's been it's been busy over here. Yeah. It's been really busy. I was just actually right before we sat down here, I was kind of kvetching to Maureen about you know, all of it's all good things. All good things. It's just a lot. You can have too much of a good thing. You can have a bit too much of a good thing. And uh, yeah, you know you're working too hard when someone has a birthday party and they invite you to it and your initial instinct is, oh, <laughs> Or you're God. just an introvert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or I'm an extrovert introvert that like just needs to accept that about myself. Yeah, but, it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, so what's going on with you? Well, um, I just had like a day and a half in my house completely alone. What? I know. So since Griffin is homeschooled, I can just, like, send him off to visit his grandparents now and just, like, print out his schoolwork and be like, okay, just do your homework. Bye. Wow. (laughs) So he went to stay with them for a week um, because they're going to, like, close the pool down. So he wanted to swim before then. Mm. And uh, his grandmother met up with Ivan in Hagerstown to do the switch because it's, like, halfway between our houses. And I was like, how about I take the baby and get a hotel room? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I'm just, I'm just going to be alone. Whoa. In silence. What are you going to do? Well, um, I mopped my whole house, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think I've done at like once, like at once in years. Cathartic it's, mopping. It's usually just like one room where I'm like frantically mopping, you know, while like a dog runs through or a child's yeah, like, sure. oh, no, I spilled. Mopped the whole, I mean, obviously vacuumed as well because you have to do, so I vacuumed and mopped the whole house. I threw away a trash bag of toys that we will never discuss again. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully nobody will remember their existence ever again. And I listened to like an audiobook and cooked myself dinner and I didn't Whoa. go anywhere. That's amazing. I, it was so nice. I slept alone with no children. Well, that's really cool. <laughs> I shaved my thighs for the first time in six months. <laughs> yes. Does nice. that count? You, oh, you yeah. cathartically mopped. And, yeah. you know, the only reason I actually did it is because I've been working out at this place that has these large, like, industrial fans. Mm. And it's wonderful that they blow on you constantly, but I can feel, can feel every hair. thigh hair <laughs> flapping in the wind. And, you know, so it really wasn't, like, a cosmetic thing. <laughs> yeah. I just, like, can't deal with thinking about my thighs That's a lot anymore. of sensory input. It's too much. <laughs> it's too much. So, like, the whole point of not shaving your thighs is to not think about them. And now I've got these industrial fans being like, your thighs are hairy. It's like, God. Okay. So I shaved them, and now I can't stop touching myself. Oh, it's I'm so just sitting here, smooth. like, rubbing my thighs. Remember the first time you shaved your legs yes. and you got into bed and it was like your legs were slicked up? Yes, with, yeah. like, clean sheets, and you just, like, oh. kind of kicked all around. Yeah. And you were like, whoa, my sheets feel amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so I kind of had that experience last night, and I was like, 
you know, young again. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, my that's, thighs. That's the experience I have anytime I shave because it's like maybe a once a year occurrence. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, this is why people do it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what's going on with me. Everything and nice. nothing. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Oh, well, today I was thinking we could start out um, by talking about kind of like a hot topic because those are my favorite. A confusing topic. Yeah, I wanted to finally address the topic of fenugreek. Is it a friend or a foe? Well, I think that everyone's confused at this point. Yeah. Every single person. The 25% of healthcare providers listening to this, also confused. Well, I, I hope I can shed some light on it. And I think more than that, I'm hoping to reframe the way we're thinking about this so that it's more useful to us. But before we get into that, what do we need to do here? We're going to thank a patron. Oh, who? Um, Charlotte T. Thanks, Charlotte. Yep. Charlotte T. is coming in hot with a brand new Patreon contribution. And we are so thankful for all of that because it goes directly to producing the show. And we just keep doing this. And yeah. we may never quit. You know what I mean? We When do you quit? I mean, we don't have bosses. It's just us. Yeah. You just have to like stop I guess when day. we stop liking it, we quit. So. Oh, well, yeah. never then. Yeah. I mean, I personally like to just take one day every once in a while to completely hyper-focus on a topic that I really like, and which all I ever want to do is just talk about the things I'm thinking about like this. Yeah. And I get to spend a whole day with a friend (laughs) and call it work. Yeah. Which is cool. All right. um, Let's answer a question. Okay. Um, This is from one of our patrons, Cecilia, in Italy. And she says, my baby is 10 months and has been requesting my boob a lot recently. At night, it's now the only thing to put him back to sleep. We will still wake up every two-ish hours over here. And during the day, he now literally opens my shirt and pulls up my t-shirts to access the breast milk, especially around nap times, but not only then. I've basically been going with it, and I'm wondering whether I should be resisting it somehow. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy it, but I wonder whether we're overdoing it. I have some answers for this. <laughs> yes, I also have some thoughts, but go Yeah, ahead. so... One is that before you hear any of our advice, um, this is your life and your baby and yourself, so you are the one who decides if it's working for you or not. My advice, though, would be that it's not necessary. at least for me, the frequency of nursing isn't really a thing that if it doesn't bother you, it's fine. It's more... Um, the way baby's approaching it with like taking your clothes off to get to it, that frankly, that bothers me and it might escalate into like a larger problem around boundaries when you have, say, a two-year-old nursing. Um, So my advice would be not necessarily to like put hard boundaries in place, but think about a way that you could have your baby initiate that, that like in a kinder way. Like what I did is I started being like, oh, right, let's make sure we're teaching the milk sign. And before you do anything, we sign for milk. And then when Lyra was pulling out my clothes, I was like, okay, instead of that, you're going to point to which one you want. So we sign for milk and then point. And now... She doesn't tear my clothes off, thank goodness, because that bothers the shit out of me. But it doesn't have to be that way for you. How long did it take you to switch her over to the sign language and break that behavior? I mean, it's probably like a month of okay. being really consistent. It wasn't that bad, especially because I did it around that time. It was like around a year. Mm-hmm. You know, the longer you wait, the more those neural pathways are like, you know, like in use. So the harder it is to change them. Right. 
you know, that's funny because the advice that I gave her was exactly that. (laughs) So I started with that. And then I highlighted the fact that this question is actually more about sleep. Yeah. So it's like, that's what jumped out to me in this question is she put in parentheses, we still wake up every two ish hours over here. I mean, if that's bothering you, that's a sleep thing. And you can absolutely work on that Mm -hmm. if you're feeling ready and comfortable to do that. And then just the behavior modification and you know, or do nothing. You're not overdoing it if it's working for you. And that's my thing. It's like, we don't have to fit our lives into socially acceptable molds just because. Right. Exactly. So if that works for you, go with it. Or if you're like, oh, your alternatives sound better, go with that. And also if, um, you know, it sounds like this kiddo has been waking up that frequently for quite a while. Mm -hmm. But if this is like a new behavior, I would wait it out a little bit. probably just a weird growth spurt or something. Yep. Weird growth spurt. Maybe baby's getting sick. We're in that like 18-month-ish one where all of the sleep-trained babies and babies who sleep through the night just suddenly like wake up again. Mm. Oh, my children took turns waking me up like a newborn the other night, both of them together. So my husband gave me the eyes where he was like, we need to hang out. And I was like, oh, it's getting kind of late. The kids are definitely going to wake up if we do that. I was like, it's getting kind of late, but uh, okay. So I put down my my book and I was like, all right, let's do it. So we get to bed finally at 11. And then at 1, Heidi wakes up and crying because she needs a hug. Okay, great. And then she wakes up at 4. Because she's very sad. That's what I, she told me. I was like, why are you up? She was like, because like, I'm very sad. How, and what can you see? You're like, okay, I, I get like, it. All right. I, sure. And then at five in the morning, Theo's iPad alarm went off. Oh, God. What? Full blast. And I was like, buddy, why did you set your alarm for 5 a.m.? And he was like, oh, I tried to set it for 5 p.m. yesterday. And I was like, oh, my God. Been there, though. Been yeah. There. And then people were like, you should have another baby. And I'm like, listen, these two are already waking me up every two hours yeah. every once in a while. So anyway, we're with you. Kids are hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but hey, for everybody else out there, um, if you have questions like this, want some more personalized advice, reminder that both of us do virtual consults. And you can find those links in the show notes, on our website, just everywhere. Everywhere. And if you're in Morgantown, West Virginia, by the way, that's where we live. So I've had a lot of people recently be like, I had no idea you guys were in West Virginia. Like, we live in the same town. You can also see me in person if you want to do that. Um, So surprise, we're not in L.A. Everyone thinks we're in L.A. (laughs) Well, I'm actually even further south in West Virginia, like near the Elkins area, so I can do home visits there as well. Ah, yes. Yeah, so anywhere around there. (laughs) Anywhere. You just let us know what you need. Um, But let's take a quick break to thank a sponsor, and then we're going to talk about fenugreek and really try to get to the bottom of why this is so darn confusing. All right, it's Maureen here, and I want to tell you that I have finally set up a link so you can instantly book virtual lactation consults with me. Thank the Lord. (laughs) I know, Heather. It took me a long time to take the leap from in-person visits to virtual, but I did it. You're going to love it. I love doing virtual consults. They are the best. It serves more people. I'm so glad you took the plunge. Thank you. And if you guys out there want to book some time with me, you can go to highlandbirthsupport.com and then click on my lactation services tab. Is that H-I-G-H-L-A-N-D? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I will see you on Zoom, everybody. All right. Welcome back. Uh, Maureen, where should we begin with this? 
Okay, so we're actually going to begin, like, in a very broad context here, because uh, I feel like I'm not going to... It's going to be hard to understand if I don't kind of, like, lay down a few things first. So pretty much, like, in almost every episode, we've been giving you guys, you know, medical information, parenting information, all of that from, like, a Western medical evidence standpoint controlled studies, like isolated compound medications, like, you know, this, this very controlled way that in, for the most part, like European medicine, um, Canadian medicine, American medicine, all kind of lives in. But when we talk about herbs, which are largely ignored by Western medicine, um, we need to talk about other kinds of evidence that largely come into play, like in the Eastern medicinal traditions, like, Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, Tibetan medicine, things like that. It's nothing like Western medicine. <laughs> um, just like the the way that they even categorize the body is different, you know, and each of those traditions has their own way. And so the kind of evidence that they're working from tends to be more of these like very longstanding traditions, anecdotal, as we would call it here but also like literally thousands of years of use of plants and techniques. <laughs> um, but eh, Who needs it? Yeah, so I don't <laughs> discount that. But, um, you know, it's not something you're going to find in like the NIH website, you know. So I just have to kind of say that because herbs don't do very well in controlled Western studies because they don't just contain one active compound, right? They contain literally thousands of phytoconstituents, um, and each specific plant is not going to contain the same thing because they make those to benefit themselves. So it's a response to, like, the pests in the environment, to the bacteria in the environment, to the fungus, to the soil, to the yeah. sunlight. Like, it's like if you harvested a human. <laughs> I was just thinking that, but I didn't want to be creepy. I was thinking about, like, yeah, Maureen and I are both humans, but in different we environments. do not contain the same thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so – why are we so gross? <laughs> no, it's a great analogy. So, you know, you have to understand that when we're talking about plant medicine. And even – if we isolate like the one compound that we think might be responsible for the action we're seeing, unless we're actually using it that way every time, we're not going to see the same results replicated that way. And then you put it into a complex organism like a human, whose yeah. body is going to react <laughs> with it differently. Yeah. It, so it's, it's a complicated topic and I'm going to do my best to make it understandable so you guys can understand kind of how we got here with fenugreek. But let me introduce you to this lovely plant. Tell me. And Maureen's <laughs> an herbalist, by the way. I am. In case you didn't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm a trained herbalist. It's one of my, like, one of the ways that I use my holistic, you know, medical practice, I guess. <laughs> do you do herbal consults I do. I do herbal consults, um, usually in person, though, because... When I put them virtual, um, immediately all of my requests were like, cure my cancer. And I was like, I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> so I am very sparing with virtual consults. But if you want to book one, that's fine. Just know that I will not treat cancer or things like that, incurable diseases. Okay, great. <laughs> anyway, fenugreek. <laughs> 
Uh, it's a plant in the pea family. It is what? a legume. <laughs> Does it have peas on it? Yeah. It so um, it makes these like little beanie type things. Mm-hmm. It looks like a little bit like a very tall clover. It's got like those three leaves and little like pea shaped flowers, like all the peas have. They're very cute. Oh. Um, and it's native to the Mediterranean region, into the Middle East, into many parts of Asia, which I think is important for this conversation. It is not an indigenous herb to where we live. <laughs> and we Do are we lacking. grow it here now, though? Um, yeah, we can certainly grow it here. But we are lacking some information about it because it has not existed here very long. However, it has been cultivated since, as far as we understand, at least 4,000 B.C. That's a long time. Yeah. So, like, before the Bronze Age, right? <laughs> um, and it's mostly been used as a food. It's been used, like, people eat the leaves, they use the seeds as spices, um, like sprouts, microgreens, I mean, all, all kinds of ways you can imagine using this. What and does it taste like? It's kind of sweet, um, and the seeds particularly smell like maple syrup. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and today, it's, like, just a really common ingredient in so many popular dishes, like, particularly in the Indian subcontinent, right? Hmm. So this is a food that we're talking about. And as a dietary supplement slash herbal medicine, um, most people are using the seeds. Can I just say, from all the galactagogs that we use, I feel like a lot of them could be used in traditional Indian dishes. And it's like, are they all good over there with supply? (laughs) They're eating fennel and turmeric to take out the inflammation. I I do have a lot to say about that. (laughs) Okay, I'm excited. (laughs) And then I just wanted to kind of talk about this from an herbal medicine standpoint. So disclaimer, I am not a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, nor an Ayurvedic practitioner. This is just some information I'm adding in. So in the traditional Chinese uh, viewpoint, this is seen as a yang tonic, particularly used for kidney deficiencies. It's used really often in Ayurvedic medicine You know, so it's a very common ingredient in those practices. From a Western herbal perspective, we would talk about this in these terms. We would say it's hypotensive. It could lower blood pressure. It is an amenagogue, meaning it stimulates menstrual flow and uterine activity, which is why it is not safe in pregnancy. It's antispasmodic, so it relieves those smooth muscle spasms, um, anti-inflammatory, which I think you guys understand, (laughs) hypoglycemic, which is important. So it can um, really help with high blood sugar issues, um, insulin production issues. It is mucilaginous, which is something we typically use to support mucous membranes, so like digestive tract particularly. But um, a lot of plants contain mucilage, and it's like a, that like slippery, gooey liquid um, you find in some plants. It's basically long-chain polysaccharides, carbohydrates. Mm. Um, <laughs> and those are really useful when we're dealing with like wet parts of our body that the wetness protects them, <laughs> like our esophagus or anything down below that. <laughs> um, it's also a laxative, right? So it aids in bowel movements. You sure you can't take this in pregnancy because like the, <laughs> the leg cramps for the antispasmodic, so, all the inflammation, <sighs> the hyperglycemia that we get. Am I sure? No. But... Typically, anything that can stimulate menstrual flow, we're certainly going to caution against in pregnancy. Right. Man, that's a bummer because all of those other (laughs) 
things that it cures is like basically describing pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of other herbs that do that, too, that are complementary. Um, but essentially, things that this would be commonly used for as a medicine would be, like, to help kidney health, lung health, supporting digestive membranes, um, promoting menstruation when we've got, like, amenorrhea or something, um, supporting lactation. And then an interesting one is this is a warm herb, which a lot of the Eastern medical Practices think of the body with like different constitutions, like warmth and cold and dry and moist. But this is a warm herb that if we're using it externally, it's for things that we'd consider cold skin eruptions. So like boils and swollen glands and things like that. So <laughs> here's the thing. We have actually studied fenugreek in a Western sense with some human clinical trials um, using the seeds for particularly... When we're talking about, like, blood sugar control for people with diabetes and things like that. Oh, yeah. That's where the money's at. Yeah. You can fix <laughs> diabetes and obesity. And, yeah, yeah. So it's certainly been studied that way. But like I said, it, herbs present a challenge to fit into that clinical framework. But there have been some promising, promising studies for sure. Now, the real question, like, why we're here today is does this help you make milk? Right. Yeah. That's why everyone is tuned in. Does it help you yeah. make milk or does it ruin your milk supply? Yeah. Sorry to take so long to get there. Um, I do want to mention what the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine says, mm -hmm. since we talk about them a lot, um, and LactMed, because they really, I think they've done a good job at summarizing this um, in a way that y'all will be thinking about it. So APM does include fenugreek on their like Galactagog protocol, of course, like any time, and like we always say, before using galactagogues, including medications, right, like domperidone, please see a lactation expert to evaluate the feeding process, your history, etc., um, and basically maximize your non-galactagog management prior to adding in this stuff. And that's what they say, too. But there have actually been a number of studies that include fenugreek. And they have very mixed results um, because some of them use it in compound with other herbs, which is how it's traditionally used. And those tend to have good results with improving supply. However, we can't necessarily then say it was fenugreek itself if there were like five other herbs used. Okay, wait, back up because I think this is yeah. really important. <laughs> so you're saying that most of the time in Eastern medicine, they're not just taking one herb and being like, here, take this. This well, is no. the magic bullet, just like and we do in Western culture with a pill. They're kind of fully integrated into like their diet and their daily like mm -hmm. life. It's not the way we're taking it. Okay. And I think that's like a mentality of the Western culture where it's like yeah. A plus B equals C. Like I have low supply. I take fenugreek how many times mm -hmm. a day do i take it like we're taking it like medication yeah expecting those results and and so here's the thing of course looking at all these studies where some don't show any difference some show a big difference mostly there were no like major adverse effects the the biggest thing that happened is some people had diarrhea because they took too much because it's a laxative duh um <laughs> oh it works though yeah <laughs> it's a great laxative you have to take quite a lot of it for that there's a lot of fiber and that mucilage really helps pass things say um, mucilage <laughs> one more time mucilage <laughs> <laughs> um but abm says if you're going to use it their protocol is to do 200 milliliters of herbal tea 
three times daily or up to 600 milligram capsules three times daily, taking only for one to three weeks, which I think is important with any new medication or herb that you have an amount of time after which you check in with yourself and you're like, do I have weird side effects? What's going on? And I think one of the points that they make, they're saying to only take it for a certain amount of time because like it's you kind of have to figure out, like, is your problem, you know, what's your real problem, right? Right. This is sort of just like a Band-Aid in the way that they're framing it. Well, and also if you're taking it for milk supply, for example, or like when I I rarely prescribe Reglan, for example, to boost supply, but I always check in in a week. Mm -hmm. And the goal is not to be on it forever. So a lot of people, I will, they'll come to me and they'll be like, I've been taking fenugreek or this one supplement for for six six months. months. And I'm like, okay, well... Okay. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, sometimes side effects creep up on you and yeah. you stop it and you're like, I didn't realize I was right. having burning poops every you know, just like who knows right. what your side effect is. They're like, um, Oh, being postpartum, it's just weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh I did want to mention and ABM mentions this too, that unfortunately, uh in the United States we don't have a lot of regulation around herbal supplements, particularly in capsules and there have just been a plethora of FDA reports of vitamin companies either just completely selling nonsense under whatever label they want, none of the things that they say are in it are in it, or having totally different amounts <laughs> than they claim. And it's kind of scary. And this is just not like one incidence. There are like hundreds of reports of this. Uh, yeah. Let me just <laughs> remind you that Subway was just cited by the FDA for oh, having no tuna fish in their tuna fish sandwiches. No tuna. There was actually pork in there, which sucks for people that don't eat pork who were purposefully yeah. ordering the tuna to avoid pork. So you think that Subway can't even put tuna in their tuna fish? Imagine what's in these like little proprietary capsule blends. Yeah. And, and it's really frustrating. So if you are getting any kind of like vitamins or capsules, the kind of very least you can do is check for national NSF certification. It's like a little crest on it. It's it's actually the National Sanitation Foundation, but they standardize sanitation and food safety. So that means like they've actually tested what's in there for verification. I don't know that that's like the most we should be doing, but at least that's one thing. And when buying loose teas, like make sure you're buying it from an herbal supplier with really good reviews like Mountain Rose Herbs or Pacific Botanicals and not just whatever Joe Schmo on Amazon. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Aeroflow. Aeroflow is your one-stop shop to get the most popular breast pumps and accessories through your insurance. Yeah, so don't let your insurance go to waste. Why don't you let Aeroflow do all the dirty work for you? You never have to call your insurance when you use Aeroflow, and they remind you when you're eligible for free replacement parts. Yep, so when you're tired in your postpartum period and you're wondering why your pump isn't working as well, you might get a text that says, did you know you need replacement parts? And you say, I did not know that. You push a button and boom, they show up at your door. Thanks, Aeroflow. Thank you so much. Go ahead and check out the link to Aeroflow in our show notes and order your pump through them. Hey, 
Heather, when you were nursing Heidi, did you get thirsty every single time? Every single time I sat down to nurse, it was like the Sahara Desert had taken up residence in my mouth. Same. And my go-to drink right now is Liquid IV. Oh, me too. Liquid IV makes your water work harder because it has a hydration multiplier in it that's great tasting, non-GMO, and it actually has cellular transport technology that delivers hydration to the bloodstream faster and more efficiently than water alone. You can also get their immune support blend, energy blend, or even one that helps with your sleep health. My personal favorite is lemon lime, and I think it actually makes me drink water two times faster, which is always handy when you have a screaming baby in the room. I really like the tangerine, and if you want to try that today, you can go to the link in our show notes and use our discount code MILK underscore MINUTE for 15% off your order. That's MILK underscore MINUTE for 15% off your liquid IV today. Happy drinking! Basically, as far as fenugreek goes, if we're looking at it from a Western medicine perspective, we don't have enough evidence to say that it works. It's considered safe generally. Sometimes it works, maybe sometimes it doesn't, but it's not particularly dangerous when taken at those quantities that ABM is talking about, right? Kind of the worst thing that'll happen is diarrhea. Oh, well. But there are some contraindications, right? People who should not take it. Anybody who struggles with blood sugar issues, particularly if you have hypoglycemia, which many people don't have diagnosed because their insulin like resistance is all jacked up from pregnancy, even in the best circumstances, um, you might not be noticing that postpartum. You should not be taking this herb if that is the case. It's not for use if you use insulin-related um, drugs, if you're on any antiplatelet drugs, if you use aspirin regularly, heparin, warfarin, and, you know, there are possibly other herbs you should not combine this with. Yeah, I mean, people say, oh, herbs don't work, and they're like, but definitely don't take them if you have any of these symptoms. And it's like, oh, well, you can't be in both camps. Yeah, you can't. And, and that's the thing. It's – so – Here's my biggest problem with this is that we have colonized this herb and then just completely stolen it out of context and tried to shove it into a framework that it doesn't fit into. And then basically saying like either it works or it doesn't or don't take it or it's like it, it doesn't fit where we're trying to put it. And I think what you're saying there is like respect the herb and respect the culture. Here's the thing. Like galactagogues, as we call them, which are things that boost your supply, right, as particularly herbs, are built into traditional postpartum nurturing activities in many cultures that we have taken them from, right? So herbal supplements would be instead included in foods, used as teas, put in soup broths, Right. It's not the same as using them as like a medication in the way that we understand with like capsules and dosing and very rigid guidelines. You know, and a common thing we see in a lot of these Eastern traditions is using fenugreek, turmeric and ginger all together in a dish. And those are all anti-inflammatory. They're all thought of as galactagogues. I mean, and they taste wonderful together. <laughs> and that's why, you know, they're they've been kind of honed that way from literally thousands of years of traditions, right? 
people are not going to keep doing this if it doesn't work. But also, you know, they're served with these really rich meals with lots of nuts and seeds and very well-cooked vegetables and easy-to-digest foods, which are so important postpartum when all your guts have just been traumatized <laughs> and your whole digestive system is messed up after like suddenly not being pregnant anymore you know and and they use other things like that we consider medicinal like coconut and fennel seeds and asparagus root and ashwagandha and just like so many herbs and spices and that's the thing a lot of our medicinal herbs are traditional spices and that's for a reason right we should be eating healing foods every day so here's your sign when your mom asks you what she can do for you postpartum you tell her you can make me some of these nice traditional wonderful dishes that are supposed to support digestion and milk supply early on and i and i think that is the key that we should be latching on to, right? What we've done instead in this, like, or we, you know, like Western medicine, I don't know, whoever decided to do this, it, it just feels like they've latched onto one thing as the miracle lactation boost while just ignoring the whole philosophy and basically not seeing the problem is that we are disrespecting the postpartum period. Yeah, and we are trying to fit it into this system that's already broken where people are too busy postpartum, where it's like, well, we need fenugreek available in a capsule three times a day because she barely even has time to eat, much less make herself a traditional meal full of spices. And it's like, wait, this is a system problem. Right. This is well, just like, I'm pretty sure I need to be on medication, but also like for yeah. anxiety, but also... I feel like also it's more of like a lifestyle problem. You know, I should probably just take away something off my plate instead of medicating myself. Well, and it feels like by, you know, just trying to give us more Band-Aids, right? That's what I see these yeah. as. Like, you know, all of the like liquid gold and lactation boost and mother's milks. Like, I feel like those are Band-Aids to enable the complete disrespect of women and the complete disrespect of the postpartum and just like to put us back as cogs in a machine as soon as possible. And what we should be doing instead is giving people full maternal leave and giving their family the opportunity to take care of them and feed them and nourish them and let them establish physiological normal feeding. Yeah. And how about the fact that the boomers won't retire and be grandparents to actually help <laughs> yeah. you? You know, and because they're still stuck in the system, because not only do they need us to be cogs in the machine, they need us to be in there until we're dead. So, like, you don't even have grandma available to help with the siblings and the child care anymore. Uh, did you see that on TikTok? How there's like this whole thing going mm -hmm. around about how boomers are the worst grandparents of any generation ever? They are. <laughs> kind of like, well, you said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's because uh. they're too busy. Yeah, it's, I don't know, but I, I realize that that doesn't give you guys out there like an actionable thing to do from here. We're like, there's a systemic problem. Okay, I had to say it, there is. So here is what I think you should be doing with fenugreek and many other herbal galactagogues. You should be incorporating them into your normal nourishment throughout the day, if possible, instead of using things like capsules and tinctures. You learn how to use them as spices, learn how to use them properly as teas, and try to do that. Like if you cook one meal a week with your family and that's it, 
Okay, but maybe learn how to make a curry that uses fenugreek and turmeric and ginger and coconut. It's not very hard. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite easy to make, a, you know, like a very simple curry dish. You know, learn how to make yourself like a doll with lentils. They're so nourishing. A doll? Doll is the dish D-A-H-L. Oh, okay. Yeah. Learn how to make yourself that. It's It takes 20 minutes, you know? They're actually quite simple dishes, and they're not as intimidating, I think, as a lot of us feel like they are because we're like, oh, no, it's Indian cuisine. Yeah, but it's like, it, look at the recipe. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have all the ingredients, like, okay, no big deal. Use what you have. It's okay. Yeah, I would love that. That sounds delicious. And it feels like a reward after doing something really hard where it's like, oh, you get this like really wonderful, beautiful, rich in spice dish Mm -hmm. for like all your hard work and dedication. And also for those of you like me who during pregnancy could not eat a full meal because it wouldn't fit inside (laughs) your body. So you were basically just permanently hungry and crabby all the time. And then you'd throw it up anyway. After you're done being pregnant, it'd be kind of nice to have that like restorative meal going on. And so I think if you're listening pregnant right now, build this into your postpartum plan. You know, don't try to learn it. Like this. Yeah, freezer meals. Well, I did have a question though. So we talked about side effects in mom, but Mm -hmm. what I've heard circulating through the lactation community, is that fenugreek, especially for NICU babies, can cause GI upset in infants. So LactMed said that there were no serious adverse effects reported in the studies that they looked at for infants. Is it possible it could cause tummy upset? Absolutely. Also, NICU babies, who the heck knows what's causing Um, what? I do know that when I was donating milk, they asked about herbal supplements, and I was like, okay, but what are you really asking? And they were like, basically, are you taking fenugreek because we don't feel like it's safe for preemies? And I was like, okay, I'm not taking it. Why? And it's probably out of an abundance of caution. Like, are they saying It could be an insulin issue, and, you know, we do know (laughs) that – Sometimes things come through milk and we don't have particularly good studies on like, can we find the amino acids and, you know, the um, the saponins and the antioxidants and all that stuff, these active constituents from fenugreek. Like we, I don't think we've analyzed breast milk to see how much comes through. Cool. I'd like so, to do that in a study. Yeah. PhDs, write it down. Um, does it make your breast milk smell like maple syrup? Okay. So here's one of the problems. Uh, I haven't heard that it can make your breast milk smell like maple syrup, but it makes your sweat and your urine smell like maple syrup when you take too much and has caused misdiagnoses of maple syrup urine disease. What? Yeah. What is um, maple syrup urine disease? A disease where that is the keynote symptom that your pee smells like maple syrup. Isn't that I, like I don't diabetes where back in the day the diagnosis for diabetes was just dipping your finger in someone's urine and licking it to see if it was sweet? <laughs> I mean, uh, hold on. Let me look it up quick. Okay. Maple syrup urine disease, MSUD, is a rare but serious inherited condition that means the body cannot process certain amino acids, causing a harmful buildup of substances in the blood and urine. Mm. That makes your pee smell like maple syrup. So it's definitely caused like people to go through a bunch of testing and see doctors. And then at the end of it, they're like, are are you taking fenugreek? Oh my God. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, I'm lactating. I'm taking 2000 milligrams a day. Like, and, and that's something that I really want to caution you against is if you are one of those folks who feels like you are reliant on galactagogues, look at the ingredients 
and add up how much of each different herb or whatever vitamin is in there to make sure that you're at an acceptable daily level. Like the teas you're using and the supplements and the tinctures and the cookies and like if you're adding it into your meals because you can easily take too much of any medication, any herb when you're when it's in every single thing you're consuming. I, I mean, my conclusion to this is that you should treat self-care as a necessity and a responsibility rather than a luxury. You should nourish your body in the postpartum, possibly using fenugreek, and that you should see that as a way to honor a tradition from another culture rather than appropriating something from another culture in, in a way that's disrespectful. I can't argue with any of that. <laughs> I think it sounds wonderful. And also, don't do it alone. It sounds like, the, you know, if you feel like you need fenugreek for supply, you should probably be working with a lactation professional yep. because it's not a long-term solution. It's really not. And how about, is there anything that you saw that was like, if you do it in the first two weeks of life, it's better than... Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So in studies, the one of the few things that, I don't know, like the websites felt comfortable asserting is that it seems like it was more um, effective to use within the first two weeks. Okay. Um, and that's also probably when it passes through the yeah. milk the most because <laughs> you have more gaps in your lactocytes where things can actually mm -hmm. filter through a lot easier. Yeah, which also makes sense. Like that, I don't know, that's the time where your body is at just like a complete nutrient deficit. Yeah. You know, you just had a whole baby, you bled a bunch more than you're used to bleeding. You lost a bunch of fluids otherwise. Like your digestive system is not quite up to the task um, because your whole metabolism is shifting now from growing a baby through your uterus to growing it through your boobs instead. Um, so that would make sense then that interventions nutritionally done in the first two weeks would have a greater impact. Yeah, but guess what? We're not doing galactagogues in the first two weeks in Western culture. Yeah. Because we're, it's probably too soon to call like a real supply issue. We're just going to work towards, you know, pumping more, solving the actual problem at the breast. I would venture to say most people do not start galactagogues until like four six weeks out, to eight six weeks to eight weeks. When they go back to work. Right. They go back to work and they, they start to realize, oh, crap, you know, like I don't have enough in my freezer or something like that. And then they start where it's mm -hmm. like. Actually, they're not even thinking about it in other cultures most of the time because it's just built in. Well, and, right? I, and I think the thing that I see most often is people come to me asking about this when they've already been back at work for about a week and they are blowing through their freezer stash. And they're like, I see the end in sight and I don't know what to do. Whereas if we take these galactagogues, these healing herbs, and we reframe our notion of them from a fixed to a problem instead we take that and we just like do 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 take it over here and we turn it into like a nourishing tradition right a part of our food instead that makes a lot more sense than to do in the first two weeks we need a postpartum meal galactagog rich service that is like a month long. You know, a lot a lot of people who live in cities in the United States can probably find this, particularly through um, the Ayurvedic tradition. There are like services that do that for what? people. So um, like postpartum doulas who will do that. Um, 
if, you know, if there's an Indian community nearby you, you might be able to find, or like a Tibetan community or something in that like subcontinent, um, you know, because people who move here want to keep those traditions alive. Do we not have any <laughs> naturally occurring galactagogues in we the United States? We have so many. But, but but why are we all obsessed with Fenugreek? Because how, I want to know how it obliterated our indigenous cultures. Oh, right. With genocide. Yeah. So they have lost a lot of that knowledge. And then like for the surviving people, what do we do? We put them in residential schools to like beat their culture out of them literally. So you know, our wonderful, vibrant, amazing indigenous cultures with their indigenous scientists, right? They have scientists. They're, we don't, we're not the only people who have scientists. Um, they're trying to reclaim and rediscover their own cultural knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard truth. It really is a hard truth. And I do just wonder how fenugreek became such a buzzword for milk supply. You know, it's like a marketing I, trick that happened at some point. I feel way. like there's a couple of studies that really make it out like to seem like a very successful tactic. Um, and I feel like probably some manufacturer was just like this one. Let's yeah. pick this one because it's cheap and we can exploit the people who grow it or something, you know, like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, there's a common theme here, everyone. In our, I think, you know, if you do something long enough, you find a common thread. And I think we're, I don't know how many episodes we're in, 130 or something like that. I think by now we've started to realize that a lot of our lactation issues stem from cultural deficits Mm -hmm. that we've either inflicted upon ourselves and others or that we just cannot fix ourselves because of system problems. Yeah. And, um... You know, the more we keep talking about it and the more we find these underlying issues in all of the topics that we pick and the more aware we are, the more we can change. Absolutely. And I don't want anybody to leave this episode feeling hopeless. I want you to leave this episode feeling like there are things you can do to support your health and your lactation, right? You can nourish yourself in ways that have been tested for thousands of years. And you deserve it. You deserve a hot, delicious meal that heals your body. Oh my I gosh. I am now craving. I know. Some, maybe we need to go to Starve India. <laughs> I, we for, might for actually, <laughs> we're going to do it because I did not pack a lunch today and oh, I knew yes. you wouldn't mind because um, as I was leaving the house, I was like, I just can't serve any more people right now and I can't even pack a turkey sandwich. I'll, so I'll buy you lunch. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We're going to do it. So you guys okay. go do it. But first, let's take a little break to thank our sponsors and then stick around we are going to give an award to our new patron charlotte t yay do you have a baby that struggles with excessive gas fussiness colic and general sleep problems well i did but then i used avivo probiotics Avivo is a pediatrician-approved probiotic for babies that's even used in NICUs on the gentlest tummies all over the United States. It is an amazing, unique product that contains a specific strain of B. infantis that we need to digest human milk oligosaccharides. That's actually 15% of breast milk that your baby will then be able to utilize, whereas if you don't have the bacteria, There's so much extra in the gut, which is why American babies poop like 10 times a day more (laughs) than babies that are colonized with B. infantis. 
I have personally seen this probiotic help my baby and the babies of many of my clients. And frankly, if we're dealing with any of these symptoms, it is the first thing I go to. And the best part is it's not like any other probiotic that we would take when we're sick or taking antibiotics where you take it every time you go through antibiotics for the rest of your life. If you give your baby Evivo in the first 100 days of life, it actually colonizes in their gut and becomes a part of their immune system, which then they can pass to the next generation. And this is how we make change, y'all. Evivo is amazing because it's going to safeguard your baby's health today and give you peace of mind in the future. Check out Avivo Probiotics through the link in our show notes. And enter code MILKMINUTE for $10 off. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for our award in the alcove. Yes, this is one of my favorite parts of every episode. (laughs) Today, we are giving our award to Charlotte T. And Charlotte says, my recent win would be getting my eight-month-old son, a prolific contact lap napper, (laughs) into his own bedroom and night weaning with very little drama. We waited Mm. until we felt he was ready, and it was very timely as I've just started back to work full-time. I'm lucky enough to work from home with my baby with help from my amazing mom, which is kind of like having two jobs at once, but I wouldn't have it any other way. My original breastfeeding goal after a slightly rocky start in the NICU was only a few months, but here we are at eight months still going strong, and I really do owe a lot of that to your podcast. I swear your content is even more informative than any of the LCs I've seen in person. Ha ha. Thanks again. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> thanks, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, you know, it's available at 2 a.m., so it yes, feels a lot more yes. helpful no, when I'm no one else is awake. I'm very happy to help, but I'm always like, oh, God. <laughs> Are we better than the in-person help? Uh, I think the answer is all of it. Yes. The answer is never one or the other. It's always all of it. But I think we should give Charlotte the double-time debutante award. Oh, that's cute. You know, anyone that is working from home Mm full-time and breastfeeding their baby at home Mm -hmm. full-time and you're doing and you're crushing it by the way you know you might not be every single day amazing at work or amazing right. at you know taking care of your kid but it's like a pendulum you know i had someone ask me the other day how do you uh, have this work life balance with your family and running a business and i was like oh no there's no balance it's just a <laughs> pendulum that swings one way and you're really good at one thing one day and the next day it swings over here and on sunday you do 15 loads of laundry cuz you can't do it all week long and you just live like this you know, back and forth in the spirit of embracing Eastern medicinal traditions, let's all strive for a little more balance in our lives and in our bodies. And some grace for ourselves when the pendulum swings too far one way and the other side gets a little bit neglected. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, um, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of the Milk Minute podcast. The way we change this big system that is not set up for lactating parents, especially in the immediate postpartum is to educate ourselves, our loved ones, our friends, family, healthcare providers, anyone that's involved in lactation. And if you guys really liked this episode today or any other we've ever made, we would love your support. You can tell a friend about the podcast or you, like Charlotte, can join our Patreon. You can support us and you can get top priority for awards, shout outs, things like that. And you can always leave us a review on Apple because we read every single one of them and we love them so much. Oh, yes, we love those. Okay, well, thank you guys so much and we'll see you next time. Bye. It's a myth.